Come Spirit in us And guide our hands, our hearts In this world the beginning of this year, in the kind of first third of the year, uh, in a series that we entitled Centred, where in essence what we were saying is what we want to be as a community, what we want to be as individuals, are those that are continuously ensuring that in all we are and all we do, that it's centred around who God is. And we came to this kind of recognition that sometimes we can go on in our lives and just be busy in our day-to-day life. And if we're not careful, we can find our lives centered around other things that may seem valuable, may seem important, but actually aren't what we ultimately want to be centered on. And so we kept saying, well, we need to be those that keep coming back to ensure that our lives are ones that are built on, are surrounded by, are centered on God. And from that series, we then went in to kind of look at what does it look like then to live a life that's centered on God. And we we looked at the Sermon of the Mount of Jesus' teaching there and just how he explains what it looks like to live centered. And so we entitled our series Living Centered. And it's from that point, having said this is what we want to be centered, this is kind of what it looks like of living centered, we thought it was right to end the year by saying, well, how are we going to do it then? How do we ensure that um, this desire to ensure that we live as those who stay centered around God isn't just something we think, oh yeah, do you remember 2014? That was about being centered. Now we're on to other things. But rather that we take it and, and say, actually, no, this, is, this is what we want to mold and shape our lives from this moment forward. That we want to be known as, an in, as individuals and communities, that, a community that are continuously centered around God. And that's where the centered playlist comes into being of us saying, actually, let's take this, not as a gimmick, not as a a kind of way of saying, oh, let's do some kind of gimmicky handout and kind of name, but rather as a tool that enables each and every one of us to say, are we living how we want to be? Are we living as those that are centered, dwelling in this rich relationship with God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit? And how is that affecting our lives? And so today you would have found a kind of handout, hopefully, on your chair. If there's not, there's loads of them still on other chairs, so you can grab one. And basically, it kind of reveals kind of what we're looking at when we're talking about this centered playlist. Because what we're hoping is that this point forward, it'll become a kind of discipleship tool, a, a, a training tool that each of us can use, not as a kind of rule list, but rather as a relational development list in which we can continually ask ourselves, how are we doing in respect to loving God, loving the world, and loving home, kind of a way of saying this is what church is. 
and are saying that those three moments are like our three tracks of our playlist. And that in, with each track, what we want to do is kind of say, well, how are we doing then in respect to that? And, and take three moments, a pause moment, where we say on a scale of one to five, how am I doing on loving God, on loving the world, on, on loving home? One being poor, five being amazing. And from that kind of reality check that we have within ourselves, we're saying, well, what action then? What in me centering now, having paused, I've asked this question, center, what action do I need to take then? And then finally, as we want to continue, is then say, well, okay, I've realized where I'm at. I realize what I need to do. I now want some accountability, some encouragement, some others who can stand alongside me to ensure that I do what I want to be. And so that's the kind of point of this. And over the coming weeks, we're going to keep kind of unpacking this in order that it can be the tool that we use from this point on that shapes our lives as a community, that continuously causes us to not ask one another, well, what are you doing? But actually start by saying, how am I doing? Before God, this is where I'm at. And then from that place, building from the point of reality. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at the first track. We kind of looked last week at the creation of the playlist and how it, it's all about dwelling in relationship and dwelling from relationship with God. And this week, what I want to do is look at the first track, which is all about loving God. And we'll actually, actually find that each time we look at a track, we're going to take two weeks to do it. Because actually, these tracks that we get to listen to are filled with depth. See, the problem is we're in a saturation moment where there is so much music out there, so many tracks that you can listen to that you kind of listen to it first time and think, all right, that's great, let's listen to another one. However, a really good track, which is why often really good tracks are called classics or even classical, is that when you listen to it over and over and over again, the depth of it becomes clearer. And you realize something afresh every time you listen to it. You never get bored of it. You realize something new. And what we're going to discover is as we look at these tracks, we're going to see the increasing depth that they have. And so the starting point is loving God. I'm going to start with a quote by John Piper who said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. In other words, if you want to love God with everything, seek to depend and be satisfied purely in him. See, that kind of blows our minds somewhere. Because you think, well, no, surely it shouldn't have anything to do with me. Surely it should be a denial of myself and just say, no, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. But actually, John Piper, what he's saying here is saying, actually... The more and more we seek to say, in you, God, I find everything. In you, God, I'm totally dependent on. It causes God to be the one who's most loved within our life. To be God the one who is most honored in our life. To be God the one who's most glorified in our life. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of whet our appetites in us seeking to be satisfied by and in God. I don't know how satisfied you are at the moment. I don't know if you've got to that point of thinking, well, I kind of get it. Maybe it's like a really good meal. And what we find is we go in and we, we get the appetizer and we have the appetizer in a restaurant and we think, man, that tasted nice. 
And what we think is, that is amazing. I've just got to go and tell everyone about it. I'm going to go out and just tell everyone how amazing the meals are there because I had the appetizer and it tasted good. And we go out and we say, I've had this amazing meal. You've got to go to that restaurant. People say, what did you have? I had the appetizer. What about the rest of it? I don't know. I had the appetizer. It was good. God doesn't want us to stop at the appetizer. He wants us to sit through the full meal of everything he has to offer. And the more we eat, the more we're satisfied, the more we realize there's still more to have. That we're left with this satisfaction that creates hunger in us for more and more and more. So today what I want to do is kind of cause us to say, man, have I satisfied myself with an appetizer when there's so much more to explore, so much more to feed on? But also for some of us to say, man, are we satisfying ourselves in things that are not God? That actually when we look at who God is and the satisfaction that's to be found in him, it will cause us to think, man, why am I even bothering with that? So we need to start at this point of understanding that as we're seeking to love God, we need to understand it, hap- it happens as we seek to be satisfied in him. And so therefore, we need a starting point of what it looks like. And today, as I said, I want to wet, out, wet our appetites in it because where it starts is God's love for us. And so if we've got a Bible, we're going to jump through a few passages. But the first one we're going to start off with and then we'll return back to is in 1 John 4. John, who is a friend of Jesus, was forever changed by one thing. The love that he experienced by Jesus. And he couldn't help but write about it. If you read the Gospel of John, it's this story of love. This story of a a God who came and revealed his love. You then get to the letter of John, and it's just continuously just revealing more and more about who this God is of love until you get to this bit where John's writing to the church and saying, well, this is how love shapes us. It says 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not know God because God, sorry, let's read that again. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the amazing track that is how we get to love others. But the starting point is this. We are loved to love. That's the point that John kind of wants us to get hold of, of who God is, that actually it isn't that we get to this point and say, yeah, I'm going to love God because that's what I can do. I'm going to love God because I see him. I'm going to love him immediately. No, we love God in response to his love for us. This is the first time this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Our satisfaction is found in him as we realize how much he's loved us. And then it causes us in response to love him back. See, that then means that this isn't about my effort. It's about a response to who he is. It's always this call to relationship of understanding the depth of God's love for us. Now, at that point, we can start to think, well, yeah, God loves us. 
Yeah, but we need to understand something more fundamental than that, that God loves us because it's his very essence and being to love. See, John points this a bit before this. So he says, why is it that God loved us? Well, he loved us not because we did something worth loving. He loved us because God is love. The most profound three words that you could spend the rest of your life trying to plumb the depths of. And we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning trying to. That God is love. Not that God has attributes of love. Not that God chooses to love. Like, sometimes I'm human, so I kind of choose sometimes to love. And I use that word so flippantly. And so I can say, I love my shoes and I love my wife. I love coffee and I really love my kids. I can use that word love and people can think, all oh, right, yeah, okay, maybe I can make a distinction. And so you kind of love your shoes and that's kind of temporary, isn't it? You're kind of choosing to say, oh yeah, I kind of love those shoes. But you don't really mean you love them. You're not going to marry them. You just kind of like them. All of you are now thinking, man, I wish I could see his shoes. Um, <laughs> but in it, it's, we can start to confuse and think, well, God is love. It's an experience of what we've done as love. It's therefore, God is choosing to love. God has kind of got these kind of degrees of love, kind of a, kind of a volume kind of t- knob that he's turning, saying, well, okay, I'm going to love that like this, and that one I'm going to love like that. No, it's never that. It's never that God's tuning into and out of love. It's that God in his very being and essence is love. That when you need to describe God, he isn't one who's there to stand over you with a rod and hit you back. He's one who just stands there and is love. For some of us, that's it. That's what we need to leave with this morning. That you've come saying, I want to see who God is. And what the starting point for you is, is that God is love. But the rest of us, I want us to push that further in. Because God never wants us to just leave it there with a door kind of labeled of God is love and just say, wow, that's an amazing door. God always wants us to push it through. I think most of my relationship with God, most of what I know of God has been found through pushing that door open and discovering the breadth and the depth that just goes on and on. And I can't explore it yet, the room dimensions that are part of that room that is God is love, that his very being, his very essence is love. I want us to try and grapple with that. Paul wanted us to try and grapple with that. In Ephesians 3, he prays this prayer for everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who could believe in Jesus. And I just want to pray over us now. Because the danger is that we become familiar to the fact that God is love and we begin to lose the power and majesty and might of that. So I wonder if we could just close our eyes for a moment. I'm just going to read out what Paul wrote for us, for all. Paul wrote this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.
Paul's prayer for us this morning is this, that we begin to grasp something more of how wide and deep and long and, and, and wide is the love of God in order that we would be filled, satisfied more by God. So how are we going to do that? Well, I want us to start off by looking at a prayer that Jesus prayed. In John 17, and it's a prayer that Jesus prayed where he was facing a moment and his darkest moment on earth. Where he's about to have someone who's going to turn against him and hand him over to the authorities wrongly. He was then going to go the loneliest path ever that only he was ever destined to walk to the cross and then to die on the cross. But it's in that moment as he's there facing all of that that we have this most intimate looking in on Jesus who is God, talking to God who is Father and Spirit. And in that moment in John 17, we have him praying before the Father, praying for his friends, his disciples in that moment. But the bit we're going to look at from verse 20 is when he prays for us. He prays for everyone that is to come, who's going to believe in the message that he's left, who's going to believe once he's died and rose again in this amazing message that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that everyone can know life. And Jesus prays for us in that. And when Jesus prays, we can look at it in so many different ways, this prayer. And there's this way that we can rush to look at it, which reveals something about who we are who we are as a church, who we are as individuals, who we are as believers throughout all ages. And that is one way we will look at it. But before we can understand that, we have to look firstly at what it reveals about who God is. See, what we find is in this prayer, God rev- Jesus reveals what God is like as love. The God of love is revealed. This is what Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, people like us, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I've loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We haven't got time this morning. Can I just make a slight confession? I totally depend my life at this moment on that clock there. And that clock there told me it was 25 past and I thought it was 25 past 11. Actually, it's 25 past 10. Therefore, that means that clock there has died. And so we're going to have to speed up slightly because I've got not as much time as I thought I had. Um, Jesus prays. And in praying about us, he reveals something about who God is. He reveals this God of love. 
He reveals something of what it looks like as you push through the door and start to realize the dimensions, the breadth, the, the width, the length of this God who is love, this God we've been called up in relationship with. He says this, that this God of love is revealed as one. Verse 22, we are one. That, that isn't that God is an alone God. Isn't that God is an alone God? Because if God's an alone God and he's love, it means that he needs something or someone to love. Rather, what Jesus says here is that actually this God who is love is one who is love because actually it's a God who's father, who's son, and who's spirit. And this one God is love. It's self-sustaining. We've already heard it shared in terms of worship, what I'm about to share, and it's kind of laid this great foundation of everything that um, Anne spoke of in this song, this amazing song that's going on, of this God who is love, who's continuously loving one another within the Godhead, that you have Father, Son, and Spirit that are always loving, are always one. But with this one, it's that they belong to each other. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 21, that it isn't that you've got three separate people. It isn't that we're talking about a God that's kind of a father over here, another God, a son, another God, the spirit. And they kind of love each other as this weird kind of three gods. No, it's not what we believe. We believe in this one God that belongs together. It blows our mind because we're a kind of one personality person. We're created. We're kind of like, no, I can see that there's Adrian. If Adrian was to stand there and say, well, there's Adrian, and then there's Adrian, and then there's Adrian, we'd be like, no, I think we need to take you somewhere, Adrian. <laughs> we're not talking about because we're created. We have this lens of which we're looking at, and yet what we see here is this one who is above all and beyond all, beyond our comprehension, who is God, who is one but also belongs together. Isn't three separate entities? It's one. And yet it is father. And is a father because he has a son. And there's a son because there's a spirit, and the spirit is there, continuously causing the father and son to understand their love for one another. And you've got this circle of continuous belonging together. A belonging that is always about honoring one another. So in this prayer, you hear Jesus say, verse 24, the glory you've given me, Father. That glory is the honoring that the Father has given the Son. It gives us this inkling of what's going on in that song that was being sung, a song that now gets sung over us, but a song that's always been sung to one another, of this glory, of this honoring of each other. You see, the song breaks out at different points. The song breaks out of Jesus' baptism. The father can't help himself. You find that Jesus, in obedience to what the father wants, is saying, I want to honor you, father. Therefore, I'm going to get baptized. John the Baptist is saying, you can't get baptized. I know what this means. This means that you want to die to your old life, have a new life. You are the new life. How can you get baptized? Jesus says, oh, no, no. This is all part of the obedience of the father's plan. This is all part of me honoring the father. And in that moment, as he goes into the water and comes out, what happens? Heaven cannot stay silent. You find that the Father cries out, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. I love him. Can't help it, can't help but just break out and say, I honor him, I glory in him. As Jesus said, I honor you and I glory in you. 
Then we find this spirit breaks out in Acts. And what has he done? He's revealing who the Father is. Honoring, glorying in who the Father is so that every one of us can see, see that God, oh, you're our Abba, you're our Father. But he's honoring and revealing who Jesus is. When you get to see who Jesus is because of the Spirit. Him honoring who the Spirit is. Then we find that Jesus, they're talking about the Spirit coming. He says, I've got to go. It'd be way better for me to leave the planet. Why? Oh, there's one who's going to come. One who I'm preparing the way for is going to come and dwell within you, the Holy Spirit. This community that's continuously honoring one another. And the thing that blows my mind is the next one. This God of love revealed in Jesus' prayer as one, as belonging completely together, as honoring one another, is eternal. Verse 24, you loved me, Father. This is Jesus praying. You loved me before the creation of the world. Smart people always ask you, well, what was God doing before he created the world? Oh, he was loving. No, 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 that's not enough. Oh, it is. What was God doing? Father, Son, and Spirit before the creation of everything? They were dwelling in loving community. The Father was eternally loving the Son. The Son was eternally, forever, before time was ever conceived, was loving the Father. The Spirit was administering that love. The Son was loving the Spirit. The Spirit was loving the Father. The Father was loving the Spirit. The Spirit was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father. The Father was loving the Son. Just continual motion, forever, completed in love. And that love was enough. And it was out of that love and the overflow of that love that everything of the story we're now part of comes out of. And it's only as we believe that God is love that we believe and understand who we are. What this is, you see, as Anne already kind of helpfully laid the basis of this one, everything flows out of that love. It means that creation flows out of love. Creation isn't out of nothingness. It isn't chaos that just went nothing. There was nothing there and then chaos and then something. No, 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 the story here, the big story is creation happened out as an overflow of God's love. It wasn't out of an overflow of God's need. It wasn't like God, Father, Son, and Spirit just needed something to love. Oh, no, they, were, they were completely fulfilled. They were so fulfilled that actually they had more than enough love to give out. There was this excess, this overflow of love. And in that excess and overflow of love, we find creation is birthed. Creation was a mistake. Creation was all about God who is love. That's why you find what Anna was talking about. That in the creation story, the Trinity's there. Father, Son, and Spirit. We find out in John 1 that the, the Son's there because he's the Word. The Word that became flesh. And so you find this moment of this amazing song that's being sung. By this God who's love, out of his love for everything. Of the Father singing, the Word acting, the Spirit bringing life. And you find that this creation that's founded and flowed out of love is good. And then you find the most amazing thing, that the pinnacle of that creation is this fragile, amazing creation called Humanity. That God creates his male and female in order that together and only together, one can look at them and say, 
Oh, they bear God's image. When I look at what it is to be a man, when I look at what it is to be a woman, I can see something of what it is to be God. And God creates the pinnacle of his creation, humanity, in order that they dwell in his love, in order that they see and taste the goodness that God has created, in order that they see and taste and live in this eternal fellowship, belonging of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what humanity were created to be in. But then we know that there's this moment where humanity decide to, rather than love God, love themselves. And they push the button that we all pushed of self-centered love and self-destruction. As Luther puts it, that that moment where we are created, created in the overflow of love, to be those that live then in the overflow of love, we then curved in on ourselves to just center in on who we are and what we love with the dire consequences of shame, of death, and of brokenness. You see, in that moment, and you just think, man, that's just the opening three chapters of the book. That's like phenomenal. God is love, announces himself, bang, three chapters in, you think, whoa, what's going to happen here? I don't know if you think the Bible's boring. I don't think the Bible's boring. It's an amazing book. It's this love story. So you get to the chapter, and what is going to happen here? This God who is love created everything that was good in order that this humanity could dwell in this love. Well, at that moment, what happens is the Godhead reveals the depths and breadth and extension of his love. Which just brings us back to 1 John 4. The saving love. 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. For me, the most remarkable moment of God is love. It's this moment where you find this God who is love, who dwelt in love, whose overflow of love brought about creation suddenly reveals that the overflow of his love brings about our salvation, brings about the cross, something that no one could have dreamt up, no one could have imagined. That the only remedy for our curved-in nature, the only remedy for our self-centered self-destruction was for God himself, who was the word, to become flesh, to come and live on earth as son, in order that he could live and die. And in doing so, reveal the generosity of God's love. God is this incredibly generous God of love. There was nothing about us that deserved it. It was just because he's love. His very being was love. He could not but overflow with love. And he's generous with it. And with that generosity came this son who did die and so was willing to lay down his life. Willing to lay down his life because it was the only way to deal with our death, to take on our death on him. Willing to deal with our shame of where we live with the consequences of being centered on ourselves by taking on our shame on himself. The Bible continuously points to the fact that there was going to be one who one day would hang on a tree and they'd be cursed, full of shame. Because it was the only way to deal with our shame. But it wasn't 
just that. It was also that Jesus on the cross was broken. Broken in order that he could take away our brokenness. Our brokenness in relationship to God, our brokenness in relationship to each other, our brokenness in respect to ourselves. So that God, who is love, could cause us no longer to live outside of what we were always destined to live in, but would remove every barrier in order that at the overflow of his love, Jesus wouldn't stay on a cross, wouldn't stay in a tomb, but would be resurrected in order that he could offer life. This God of love is life-giving. What does that life look like? Jesus prayed and told us what it was going to look like. See, for me, I just think, it's just outstanding that God is love and that in it, it isn't that you get this one chance and we kind of mess it up as humanity. It's that actually God who is love is overwhelmingly, overflowingly love and therefore he would do everything and anything to get us back into it. And so he makes this way through the cross, through the giving of Jesus who deals with everything out of his love in order that then we get this amazing life that is everything that we understand about this God who is love so that we get to belong with him. May they also be in us, verse 20, 21 of um, John 17. That the Father, Son, and Spirit, we get to be with them, in them. Now at this point, I don't know about you, but you think, well, okay, fine, we're in them. No, 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 we're in them. Let me just quickly illustrate. Can I just have three people really need quickly? Pete, Trina, come as well. Colin. Father, Son, and Spirit, pick which one you want. But I want you to join your hands in a circle around me. The danger is this is how we see it. I think we belong, and we see that we belong to God like this at best. That we belong to this God who is loving, who is always loving. And we get to say, oh yeah, I'm in this. I get to watch. I get to watch how the Father loves the Son, who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father. I get to watch it. Or maybe we see ourselves like this and we think, wow, because of what Jesus has done, I get to see it. I get to know that God is love. Boy, if we sell for the appetizer. That's not what Jesus says. He says this. You're in. <laughs> you are now in the eternal love circle. Father, Son, and Spirit, you're in. The love the Father has for the Son is poured through you. The love the Son has for the Father is poured through you. The love the Spirit has for the Father is poured through you. The love the Spirit has for the Son is poured through you. You've become part of the chain. And whichever way you look at the chain, you're always in it. You can't be removed from it. You're not in the center. You're not in the outside. You're in it. You're in God. I'm in God. Thank you, guys. We're belonging. And as such as we're belonging in this amazing God who is love, we get to understand that we're being honored. Jesus says we'd see his glory. What is it Jesus says? One day we're going to meet him and we're going to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, where had Jesus heard that one before? Oh, eternally. He recognized that, man, we were in. Just as he is honored, we're going to be honored. 
But it isn't just an honor that is to come, it's an honor that we live with now, that we get to see Jesus in the fullness of who he is, that he is one who is Lord over all, King over all. It isn't just a song we sing and think, oh yeah, Jesus, Lord of all. No, no, he is. And he will be. And one day every knee will bow before him, and now we're in that. This bizarre moment, I just blows my mind. I keep trying to kind of get it around there. It's just this moment that, at the moment we kneel down and bow and say, Jesus, you're Lord. He comes along and says, no, no, you're with me. You share in everything that I have. No, no, but you've done enough. I know, but you get to share in the honoring. And it's eternal. Belonging, honoring, and eternal. This Man, surely that was enough, right? And then he gets to this, verse 23. Father, you've loved them even as you have loved me. Whoa! Father who's eternally loved the Son forever. I can't imagine that. I'm time-based. Even when a clock dies, I'm still thinking, time, time, time. I know I'm over time. Time, time, time. I know I'm over time. Man, there was once no time. There is one who dwells beyond time. And beyond time, he's always loved. And that's now how he loves us. Oh, I don't know. These, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't, I don't have the words. I'm not a very eloquent individual. And there are moments where suddenly as I see things and I have to use my body because I can't get it out. Because I allow it to start to sink down and it undoes me. I think I don't understand. But then I allow others to help me. So I allow Paul to help me in 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about this amazing gift of love and he gets to the end and he says this, there are three that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Why? Because love will always be. One day we'll see God so we won't need faith. One day we'll see God so we won't need hope. Everything will be as it's meant to be. But the one thing that will always remain is love. You get to Romans 8 and Paul says, actually, you need to understand this eternal love is one that you can never fall out of. And people might punch you, might kick you, might starve you. You might not have any money. You might get really ill. You might even die. But it doesn't matter. You're eternally loved. A love beyond time and space. And nothing and no one can separate you from that love. How satisfied are you? How satisfied am I? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. How satisfied in his love are you? How satisfied in his love are me? am I? And me? Am I? As I said, we're always going to pause, sense, continue. Pause, scale of one to five. How satisfied are you? Do you know what? Before I did this preach, I thought it was a four. By last Friday, I thought I'm a two. Best. Where are you? One to five. How satisfied are you? Center. What action do I need to take? Not everyone think about, well, I think Adrian, you should do this. No, what action do you need to take? What action do I need to take? What accountability do you need? Who is it you need to talk to after this morning and say, do you know what? This is where I'm at. And this is where I want to be. 
Can you support me in getting there? That's what accountability is. Isn't it someone who says, I'm better than you. How are you doing? No, no, it's someone who draws alongside and says, come on, let's go for this. Who is it who's going to do that for you? We are time-based. But one day we won't be. Can I pray for us? And then I'll get slapped by the kids' workers. (laughs) God, I pray would you take the limitations of what I've shared in the limitations of who I am to cause us to start to plumb the limitlessness of your love. I pray we'd be those like Paul who continuously say, actually, we want to understand that we're those that are rooted in love. And in that rooting in love, we want to continuously grasp more and more the height the breadth, the width, the length of your love, God. Understanding the more and more we see of it, the more and more we know of it, the more you'll come and satisfy us, the more you'll fill the very deepest longings in our heart. So God, we just come and say, we want to love you with everything we are by being truly satisfied in everything you are. Amen.